So I want to invite you to, to open your Bible to Romans chapter one. And um, I, we're going to get eventually to Romans eight, where we'll spend our a, a little segment of time, I guess. Um, but, but you miss all that Romans eight has to offer if you haven't heard what, what comes before that and, and the, the beauty that is before that and maybe even some of the, the heartache that comes before that, the reality of sin and the reality of, of our flesh and our desire there. And so um, I wanna spend some time looking to the word that we would hear the word this morning and that we would give God the glory he deserves because it's his word that penetrates our hearts by the power of the spirit. It's his word that changes lives. It's his word that affects us. It's not, it's not my preaching. It's not my preaching style. It's not, it's not how loud or how quiet I speak. It's the word of God. And so, so let's hear his word. Romans 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those who are in Rome, who are loved by God, are, are called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, who I'm, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the, the rest of the Gentiles. You see, I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and, to, and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. 
For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see, claiming to be wise, they became foolish and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. The men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but to give approval to those who practice them. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who do such things. So do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing, listen, that God's kindness, kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearts of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. Their conflicting thoughts accuse them or even excuse them. And on that day, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. 
But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You say that one must not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is a value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have, written, who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Stick with me. You're doing good then what advantage has the Jew? What is the value of circumcision? Much in every way to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way by no means. For then, how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? Why do not evil that, why not do evil that good may come? Some people slanderously charge us with saying that their condemnation is just. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. Listen carefully to this. This is about all of us. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they are become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. They feel are swift to shed blood and their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God in their eyes. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets, they bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former things. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, no, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one, he will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we, we uphold the law. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. and It was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. The one who does not work, but trust is him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the, the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And this blessing, then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised, we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. So he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. 
It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, I love these therefores. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift, it's not like the trespass for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man much more. Will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What, what shall we say then? What are we supposed to say to this? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means, church. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. <laughs> death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lived, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. But just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And you were slaves of sin. You were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Amen? in Christ Jesus our Lord, or do you not know, brothers? For I'm speaking to those who know the law. The law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Thus a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while, after, while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may be bare fruit for God. For while we were living in our flesh, our sinful passions um, aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the spirit. But then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness apart from the law. Sin lies dead. 
I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is, is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means, it was sin producing death in me, though what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions. How many of us are like this? I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. If I do not do now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, and that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. This gets as confusing as ever, right? So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I keep serving the law of sin. So listen carefully, church. All of that, all of that leads to this. All of that where you, you checked out for a minute because it was, it was getting too much, it was getting too heavy. All of that leads to this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hear that again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Church, it doesn't get better than this. All of the law, all of the flesh that, that you want to do what is wrong and, and you're, that's in you, and this, this tug of war that your flesh and your spirit play against each other day in and day out, there is no condemnation if you're in Christ. The, the wages of sin that is death, the punishment that's coming your way is, is not coming your way for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't, it doesn't get better than this. Yeah, it gets, it gets heavy walking through all of that text. I know, I read it. But the word of God reminds us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, Christ went to the cross for us so that now there would be no condemnation in Christ. When I think about Romans 8, I, I get really, really, really excited. I'm sure it's hard for you to imagine that. Um, but Romans 8 is, is so full with so much good. 
And I know I've, I've shared that we're going through Romans as a staff, and they're all like, they're praying very specific prayers today that I make it through this because uh, there's just too much for us to, man, ooh, we're gonna come back and one day we're gonna like live in Romans for a while. Y'all okay with that? It's gonna be a little while, but we're gonna come back and I'm, mm, okay. But until that day, I want you to hear this. Let's go to the end of Romans 8. To verse 31. It says this, it's, it's, it's basically in nine verses, we've got seven questions and what I've, I've pulled out from here, eight truths for us. Nine verses. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the law, love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What, what Paul says here in verse 31, when he asks this question, what then shall we say to these things? He says, we are speechless because of Christ. He gets to, to this point. And if you think I'm full of words, read Romans. Paul is filled with words, all kinds of words. And he gets to Romans 8 and he says all of these good things. And he gets to verse 31. He's like, what else do I need to say? I'm, like, what else? What are we supposed to say to all of this? What are we supposed to say that we are as called adopted? We're heirs to the throne. What are, we, what are we supposed to say about the future glory that we consider sufferings of this present time not worth comparing? What are, what are we supposed to say to this? We're speechless because of Christ. It's like, I don't even have the, the right words to offer. But then he, he speaks right after this. I love how he forms this in a question. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? You see, we are confident in Christ. We're confident in Christ. How do we know that? Because he's not asking that because he thinks someone is against us or because he thinks we're going to fail. He's asking that so that you'll list out all the different enemies you might have. You'll list those out and that he in his, uh, that you would be able to say, nope, God wins that one. Nope. God, God has the keys to victory on that one. Like you just list them out. Your, your boss is your enemy. And so you say, man, just, is, he, is he against us? Nope. God is for us. You say, oh, like, what about, what about the president I didn't vote for? Is he against us? Nope. God is for us. What about the, the other side of the world, the, the enemies of the world? They're, they're coming at us. They're going to attack us. We say, well, what about them? Are they against us? Nope. God is for us. List them out over and over and over. And you'll find that God always wins. 
every single time. So we are confident in Christ and we're supplied by Christ. Next question, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We have everything we need in Christ. Ephesians 4 tells us that. My God will supply all my needs according to the glorious riches of Christ Jesus. We have a lot of things that we think we need, right? And then there's Christ. And he is truly all we need. He's it, church. So we, we know that we are supplied by Christ. Fourth truth, we are justified through Christ. Verse 33, another question. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So someone's going to try to bring a charge against you? Take heart. God justifies, not them, not you. God justifies. He's the one that makes us right with him. And in that justification, we are free in Christ. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. We're, we're made free to, int, to, to speak to the Father because of the work of the Son. And so if we're free, if the Son sets you free, John 8, then you are free indeed, church. Christian brother, sister, listen. If you have been made set free from sin and hell and death, you're set free from those, those things, you are set free to Christ. As such, we are united with Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I love it. Again, he asks a question, puts it in question form so that you can, you can list out all of your hardships. You can list out all of your difficulties, all of the things that are going terrible for you. Hey, you can list out all of the, the tragedy of COVID and say, will that, will that separate me from the love of Christ? Will losing my family separate me from the love of Christ? Will losing my job separate me from the love of Christ? No, 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 no. We are united forever knit together with Christ. We are united in Christ. In fact, he even lists out some of those options. Going on, he says, shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You see, we are patient for Christ. Patient, another word for that is long-suffering. We go through tribulation, we go through famine, we go through distress, we go through nakedness, we go through persecution and danger and, and even death. Why? Go to the end. For your sake. So list out your most recent heartache. 
your most recent trial, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, going without your basic needs. Why? For his sake, for his name, for his glory. And I, I know I, that it's not always quite as comforting as you want it to be, as I want it to be. Right? We want to see how it's going to result in our blessing. Hey, I'll go through the hardship, but, but let me see where I'm going to get restored in the end. Let me see where this is all going to be good for me here on earth. I want to, I want to see that. I want to hear that. And here's, here's what I want you to hear, church. You might not ever see that on this side of heaven, ever. You might go through the greatest hardship known to man, and you might not ever know why you experience that here other than hearing it's for God's glory. But here's what is going to happen. We are forever with Christ because in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Church, we, we can say that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We can say all of that as brothers and sisters in Christ. We can cling to the truth of God because he will never leave us. So yes, life is hard. And for some of you, it's harder than I can even imagine. The stress and the turmoil and the weight, it's more. But Christ is better. Christ went to the cross so that we could spend eternity enjoying him forever. So it's worth it. Some of you today, you heard me read those words and I want, of the most, half of the book of Romans, there could have been a part in there that you thought, I need that. So I want to invite you to, to turn your life over to Christ today. To trust him today. To follow his word. Commit to him. In fact, in just a minute when we sing, there will be some in the room to my left that would love to talk with you. But if you are a follower of Christ...